Welcome to Insights as a Service, the podcast that helps MSPs get ahead. This week, it's Nick and I having a chat. Hello, Nick. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, what'd you do? Good holiday. Where'd you go? Uh, I went to Craigie Range uh, in, in the Hawke's Bay of New Zealand. Did a couple of wine tastings. Uh, for those that know me, I, I like my wine. Uh, so that was fantastic. Did three days there. Um, quick trip to mum and dad's on the way. Say hi. And then other than that, just did a lot of stuff around the house. So it was a nice relaxing break joining Easter and Anzac together. Cool. All right. Well, welcome back. Good to uh, good to see you. You were missed dearly. Uh, all right, mm. uh, let's talk as we do in these in these episodes where you and I get together about what's going on in the market, uh, what MSPs are experiencing, what they're talking about, uh, at least as far as we know. Um, one thing that hasn't changed since you went away uh, on leave and since we took a break for Easter is that hardware is still in short supply and uh, it's not getting easier to get routers or anything that basically has a chip in it. Are you seeing any light at the end of the tunnel at all? No light. Uh, I've had, we've, we've just completed our advisory board round as well. So uh, the situation is dire for everyone, uh, regardless of, of manufacturer or, or preferred supplier. Um, so I don't, I don't see any end of the light at the end of the tunnel. But I do, you know, I do think that we will, maybe, total conjecture. I'd say it'd be six months before we, we see any kind of progress towards, you know, resuming supply chain. Yeah, that's interesting though, because I think six months ago we were told that we were going to get certain um, products that would become available in mm. you know, six months on. It's another six now. months. Yeah, so who knows? Um, I did see though this morning. I think last time we recorded one of these, I was talking about uh, maybe Shenzhen or some province or city in uh, in China. It might actually might have been Shanghai, but now today it's uh, it's Beijing that's gone into lockdown. I think with uh, tens of millions of people involved. Yeah, still playing that old school lockdown strategy. Uh, don't know if it's going to be good for them in the long run. No, I just think you know, whatever the impact was on the production of goods over there, uh, it's going to be worse now. Yeah. yeah, I think America's ramping up there, their supply, so America may be able to save the world. What's actually made in America nowadays, though? Not a lot, but I think they're, <laughs> they're trying to bring some chip chip facilities online is what I, is what I heard, so... I haven't researched that much further than that, but well, that's what we're about. We're about coming on here and just throwing out conjecture, just you know, Mm. baseless rumors. That's what we're about. So, uh, to that end, uh, we can park that conversation because we've clearly tapped out what little knowledge we have. Uh, But Mm. um, no, but something I want to talk about this week is the uh, you know how you frame a discount when you're looking to win business, how you adjust pricing without looking like you're just running with artificially high margins. Uh, making sure that you're consistent, uh, you know that you're not going to piss off some clients while benefiting others. Um, really, just just kind of fleshing that bit out because it was clear to me when I was at a network event, uh, networking event recently, talking to some people, how many different views there are on the right, right way to frame it, and how much to regulate the ability of salespeople to discount pricing. Um, so. I think the first thing I talk about is just clear guidelines, right? Like when you've got a sales team, you've got a price book, presumably, um, how and when it's okay to discount. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, total, it's totally down to your, I think, end customer. And if that is a retail customer, if you're in the, if you're in the B2C space, you probably don't discount too much or you might have just, you know, big sales. Um, 
you know, the May Madness, call it that, whatever, 50% off and anything that gets bought in May, go for gold. But if you're in that B2B space, which most of our audience is, that's, that's not going to be the case. And, and we're going to see, you know, every now and then someone who just expects that, you know, the rock bottom price is the rock bottom price across all suppliers and they should all bend over and, and, and just give them that price without, you know, really seeing that the additional value that's been driven by that that supplier. Mm. So I think, yeah, there's whether or not you should discount, I guess, is actually the first question. And presumably you've got a price book, you've got rates that are a fair reflection of the value you offer your clients. And the next one is you have obviously got a set of goods and services that hold value for a particular subset of the market. So when you're having a conversation around price, are you actually talking to a person that's a good or, or an entity or a person within an entity that's a good fit for your business? And then second, if you discount the price, is that being done because you don't actually hold value in the way you thought you did? Does it bring into question whether or not you've got the, the right pricing structure generally? Or is it just that, uh, you know, in this particular case, some other provider has dropped their price and, and you're having to, to maybe adjust? Yeah, I think the other one is there is it's commonly a strategy used by not great salespeople is I'll just discount to get the win. Right. See, it's driven by their KPIs. So, and that's totally true. And that's where I think, you know, revenue is a terrible metric to base success on as a salesperson. You want GP, right? But um, I think when it comes to how you frame a discount, if you're going to do it, like I, I think context is super important. And most of us know that if you have a customer, migrate from from provider a to to you or the, the previous provider to you there's going to be a period of double up and billing there's going to be cost of transition right you're going to have to have people on the ground actually do things they're going to have downtime as a result even if it's out of hours there is going to be both tangible and intangible costs in making that change so perhaps it's less about going well i'm going to drop my ongoing price it's i'm going to delay billing for two months on a 36 month term something that goes no i i I believe our value proposition holds true. I believe that how we've positioned ourselves makes sense, but I also understand your requirements as a client and I'm here to help you know, you justify the decision to go with us. I'm here to help you make it make sense financially without having to you know, fundamentally change your approach to, to the way you, you sell and where you're positioned. Um, but I think the, the other thing there is it's much harder to, to put your price back up if you take your price down, delaying billing, which essentially results in a saving um, is is just a much easier way to um, not walk backwards on on your whole pricing strategy. Yeah, and, and there's other elements you can you can do around that as well. So you could perhaps delay the start of the contractual term, so you don't start it until all the sites are over. There's a bit of an incentive there for your partner to work quickly to get that away if they want to have everything align up with other things. Um, or you could potentially look to, to to wrap in some more value. So, you know, it's, we'll delay it, but you know, we'll delay it on the preference that we can do some element of the project management. We can be quite involved in that rollout because you don't want to delay billing and then have the customer drag it out forever. Mm, that's true. Yeah, I guess the other part of this puzzle is um, context. If you have a couple of customers, or, or even more likely scenario actually, is you work with a person inside company A, they move companies and start working at company B. Company B uh, has your services already and they're getting charged significantly less than the person in the previous business, they're going to find out that your pricing isn't consistent and they're going to be wondering on what basis was that decision made. So 
whatever your discount strategy is, make sure that you can hand on heart, you know, tell people what it's based on, whether that's volume, term, um, items per sale. You know, there's a, a range of ways of cutting and dicing, but it can't just be because some BDM somewhere has gone, I really need the sale, uh, you know, 30% off. It just, it, it can't run that way. Oh, and, and this ties into a section later on, but when you've got a bunch of odds and sods of, of discounts applied across your services, across your customers, when you're trying to do some kind of account review later on, you're going, why are we giving this one for $80 and the same things at $250? You know, it leads to some really tough questions and, and creates a bit of doubt sometimes with those customers as are you ripping them off? But that's just so, you know, perhaps a, a change in pricing strategy, change in discount, different account managers, different BDMs working over that lifetime of the client. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of work for yourself if you don't have just hard rule sets to, to work across. It's also the concept, I guess, if, if you can't be as forthright with your pricing publicly on socials, on your website, if you haven't got that consistency to start with, because people will see that and they'll either go, why am I getting ripped off? Or man, I'm doing really well flying under the radar there, but it doesn't seem like a great deal. Like if you're trying to create a call to action of, you know, XYZ price for the month of you know, May or June or whatever, people are like that's not appealing. I'm already getting less than that. Or conversely, why am I getting absolutely smashed at, you know, 1.5 times that price? So yeah, you're absolutely right. You need that that from an internal perspective, that consistency to make marketing and sales decisions and training and onboarding and account management simpler. So um, yeah, it's just been really interesting to me lately to to understand the range of approaches, the um, I guess the inconsistency across the market as to how people approach the concept of discounting. Yeah. And, and you know, there's other ways. It doesn't have to be a direct price discount. You could have some Know, pure profit service or high profit service that you can you know discount that instead of the actual product that you're trying to sell so you know do think outside the box yeah yeah um that's true actually you know yeah additional discounts on a secondary service um yeah no that's a good point okay let's move on to another thing that's that's something we're playing around with at the moment um full transparency is just how we incentivize the channel and um i think for for our listeners um, who are the channel primarily, uh, this will relate to how you can create incentives, uh, you know, across your client base as well. But it's about kind of understanding that within a business, when um, I guess where we're dealing with them, there's the owners, there's the salespeople, uh, the account managers, whether it's BD or, or, or just account management, um, and then there's the end user themselves. So how do you incentivize the sales team to care? How do you incentivize the end user to be receptive? And as a, as a, I guess in our case, when we're talking to owners of businesses, how do you align their requirements and business outcomes with you know what you're looking to achieve? Um, so yeah, I don't know. For me, I guess the, the the learning has been that you can incentivize a business owner. You can make all the sense in the world to the business owner, but when they get to a certain size and they've got a sales team of you know five to ten people, those individuals maybe don't. Um, they're not incentivized in the same way. So unless the incentives internally um, actually align, then you need to find another specific way to incentivize the channel. Have you, sorry, the channel, the the, the sales team. Have you seen that done well through companies like, uh, I'm thinking like Ingram, Decker, any of those sort of distributor models when they're trying to get the MSPs to be excited about selling a particular type of service? <laughs> the Disney world tends to lower um 
you know, luscious trips away, um, you know, hot laps and fast cars and gifts. Um, again, though, that always comes back to the company, not the individual BDM necessarily. It's relied on them being passed down and given time off to go away on, on that experience. And I think it falls short in today's market because MSPs are so busy they can't afford to send their best engineer or their best sales guy away for a week of a junket trip, mm. um, you know, and, and they're not going to pass that on or they might pass on it or look to kind of reward that BDM perhaps in a different way, if they even do that. Um, so, no, I've never seen it done super well outside of the let's all just do the same thing. Yeah, so I think I guess what we're talking at the moment is having the owners understand that um, – like let's take voice for an example, right? Like that that voice sales uh, will help ring fence their clients, create a moat. If we can get um, MSP owners to um, to incentivize their channel or have a KPI that you know maybe sixty percent of clients need to have a an additional product, whether that's voice or I don't know security or whatever it might be, over and above just the general managed services piece um, and your desktop support, etc. Uh, then it's okay, right? Well, if if that can happen, that's great. That sort of aligns the ownership of the sales team. Then there's the sales team of the end user. So the sales team, cool. Let's find a way to make sure that they're financially benefiting from selling those services. And if the margin doesn't exist um, to the same extent that the primary services that they're typically focusing on do, um, then how do we actually basically get them more cash? How do we how do we how do we make that worthwhile and take the ownership for delivering that off the owner of the MSP? And then I guess the the last piece is the end user, right? So you've got to go, right, well, the, the sales team incentivized, the business owners incentivized, why should the end user give a shit? And really there it's going, okay, how do we create financial incentives, value incentives to to drive a decision or to put them in a frame of mind where a purchasing, purchasing decision is likely? Um, so that's kind of what, what we're dealing with at the moment, just thinking through internally and, and trying to come up with a, a good process. But um, you know, for me, it's it's very similar model for the disties out there who are trying to think about how they get these MSPs to, um, you know, focus on what they want them to focus on. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think the other thing around that though is, you know, particularly with, well, I mean, with us and channel, is that there's not necessarily a direct correlation between someone getting sales remuneration for selling that product because it's not a directly build product. So when they've when they go to go, what products am I going to sell to my customer? What ones are going to make me the most money as a salesperson? Um, the ones that don't give them any money are going to be the ones that sit right down the bottom, regardless of what their company strategy is around um, yeah, selling product. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I guess it sort of ties into, at the moment, uh, thinking about themes for for this financial year or even this calendar year, because I don't think it's going to change too much between June and December, but um, efficiency, essentially doing more with what you've got. So MSPs are sort of by their very nature need to scale through people to a certain extent, but it's about going, what processes can we do differently and smarter to drive efficiencies? What can we do to get more from previously, um, previous investments? Um, because what we know is the cost of, of skilled quality, um, staff is going up the cost of um you know the goods that that we're selling hardware particularly if that's that's something that you move a bit of um but presumably with the way inflation is going um you know um, services as well uh is only going up so if you're not putting your price up your margins are certainly 
under stress. So uh, across the board, you've got increased costs, um, both below the line and above the line. So what can you do to automate processes, um, get less hands on keyboards, um, you know, and I guess that's where it ties back into that sales strategy. Where do you, how do you get, you know, your sales team to achieve more without just throwing more people at the problem? Um, because ultimately to make the same amount of, of profit, you're going to have to sell more services at reduced margin, uh, potentially. I think the age old one for that has been, let's just hire more sales support, right? Mm. That's just, let's get low cost, lower, lower cost, not low cost. Um, labor to do the things that detracts from our BDM having a, a really meaningful conversation or an account manager being, being really involved with that customer. And if you actually go around and go, even just go talk to those sales support staff and go, what is the most inefficient thing you've done this week? You know, what was that one thing, if you could change something this week that you that took up too much time, what would it be? And that's a good starting point for, for freeing up that person to then focus on doing other things, either more sales, other areas of the business they could help in projects service delivery things like that totally yeah we've uh, we use lattice don't we and you know we changed up some of the questions recently to start asking those questions rather than just you know what do you focus on this week what do you got planned for next week that kind of generic stuff it's like what's one thing you learned this week what is something you're doing next week that will have a focus on efficiency within the business um and and the question obviously you're going out there and asking your team um but yeah i think it's 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 super important because uh it's certainly not going to get any easier um, I don't think um, over the next uh, yeah six months. Not that I want to sound like too much of a bummer, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to take a little while to turn the ship. I think in terms of uh, you know hardware availability and costs going down, um, and the the current sort of inflationary pressures aren't going to disappear overnight. No, I, I think that, and, and you know, just going back on pricing, there, you know, we've we've had a few discussions with people around your price points. Should they go up? Should they go down? Should they stay the same? No one's ever said down because well. Let's be honest, it's business. Yeah. Um, but you know, where people you're having conversations around, we have to put up our prices. Most business owners get that. They see it, they know there's supply chain issues, they know there's inflation, they know your costs have gone up. A lot of them would rather see, you know, you increase your prices and maintain investment in your network if you if you if if quality is is your offering, you know, main, maintain that investment in your infrastructure or whatever, um, training and, and, and people and culture than to to sweat those margins or at least you know and as, as a long-term goal that's what they prefer yeah so thinking too in terms of efficiency and sales team efficiency um the concept of territories uh, comes up when you scale as well and just removing any double touch points like where you're going oh we we approach the same the same entity so i guess to better clarify that when you're when you've got whether it's your existing sales team just looking to do things more efficiently um, or you're looking to scale your sales team to grow business, which, you know, full credit to you if you're doing that at the moment, it's, it's, um, it's, a oh, potentially, you know, strong play, but, but, uh, yeah, potentially, uh, difficult time to, to grow exponentially, but who knows anyway, you do you, but the key thing is, um, the, when you have a, a totally addressable market, you need to understand how big that market is, understand how it's segmented and then go, right, well, how do I make sure that we're not essentially throwing the same pitch? at the same person via multiple streams. And also if it, you know, hasn't landed, you, you can't keep inviting them with the same message from, you know, person A, person B, person C. It makes you look like you don't know your shit. It also means that you're essentially just wasting time that could be better spent somewhere else. Um, I guess the question I've got though is just when it comes down to territories, the best way to split them, you know, I guess you've got market segment, you've got physical location. 
Um, it's a problem we're sort of starting to look at now as well. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's equitable as well. It has to be equitable. You've got someone already in the market, you know, they're having a bit of free range. Um, how do you sort of take, how do you deal with that perceived loss of, of range? Yeah, and it's going to be a lot of relationships that people have been working on, some that take years to build. And then if you go and rip that territory out from underneath them, you're going to end up with a disgruntled you know, salesperson as part of your team there. Um, but at the end of the day, it does have to come back to, you know, it's not about the individual person, it's about the company as a whole and how do we you know, move it more efficiently as, as, a, as a cohesive unit. You know, And if that means you have to take a little bit away and give a little bit over here, then, then that's something you just have to look at. Um, What's your view of, even, of segmenting yeah. size, or like like sales focused by customer size? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, those smaller ones are you know, great to be dealt with by by perhaps junior reps or, or even sales support if it's real, if you're a real transactional type of market base. Um, there's always that element of, what if it's a, you know, is it a big brand, but super low volume, but you want to treat them like, you know, the, the best customer in the world that throws the spanner in the works. And that's where you have to have, I think, a, a rule set or, you know, some kind of guiding principles around, you know, if it's a, you know, a McDonald's or something you know, really big and exciting like that, then that has to not fall within that category. But again, you can't just go there and list, you know, perhaps, yeah. The, top 500 companies in Australia and New Zealand and go, yeah, these ones don't sit in there regardless of what size they are. Mm. Um, it's probably going to be a bit more of a case-by-case basis. Yeah. It gets hard, doesn't it? Because, you know, um, personnel count means different things across, say, retail mm. or like, you know, supermarket chain versus a services company where everyone's at a computer. Um, and also what you're selling versus what you have a genuine potential option to sell or chance of selling. Yeah. Is, is also quite different um yeah and, and there's some you, you know if it was if it was say channel and you were to base it off the size of that that it company some punch way above their weight like and if you were to do that off they've got two staff they need to sit in this category here well you might be missing out on a lot of business because you've given them a junior resource and that person can't you know fully extract the the value out of out of the, you know, that you bring as a, as a provider and that they bring as an IT company and help them merge that together to give you some really exciting wins. Uh, All right. So basically, yeah. no, just no, don't no. do that. I'm going to say no on that one. I think it's a, a terrible idea. Okay. Uh, based off that, that reason. I was only asking. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. Uh, what else should we talk about? Uh, what else has gone there? Lost leaders or perhaps teasers. Um, that's another one. You know, the, the old... I'll give away a service at cost. You know, it ties back to the discounting. You know, you know, is it perhaps easier to give away one or two services at cost, just for inflation, perhaps going forward, um, than to give a lost leader? Or do you have a basy product out there that can that can lure people in, um, and you're prepared to lose money on that because you know it's going to get offset, and they can't really leverage it out out of there. Uh, a bit of akin to the the freemium model, but for services perhaps yeah possibly so i guess you just um yeah i guess how much would that potentially scale to a point where you're supporting relatively high volumes of a service that provides nothing like if it's 
only available to people who buy X amount of something else. Okay. Mm. But that can be quite hard to police. And, and just thinking about how the, yeah, it probably totally depends on the overhead of supporting, you know, the ongoing the product. Yeah, yeah. The product or service. Yeah. So, um, but potentially, I mean, it's a pretty standard play, right? Like it's, a, mm. it's probably from a, from a hardware perspective, I'd imagine it's harder than ever at the moment to actually a source, uh, and be just by the cost, but yeah. Have you seen it done yeah, well somewhere? I, I think we've done well at a at cost basis for for some things. But what have we done? You know, what have we I, done at cost? What are, what am I forgetting? Oh, we do channel partners. Our channel partners get a, an at cost service for free. Oh, to they do too. Yeah, right. Test so, us out. Make sure they're happy. Go through the support. So experience the experience the lightwire vision and, and processes before they you know can go hand on heart to say. Fuck, I just kicked my camera. Uh, <laughs> so that's what they're saying when they put their hand on their heart? <laughs> you can say hand on heart. Fuck, I just kicked my camera. Oh, it's brilliant. Uh, well, they're probably not going to say that. So I'm going to fix that up and then we'll double back. No, that's cool. I'll keep it. Um, I think, uh, but that's a good example, actually. Like the, yeah, when I was thinking it was more like if uh, I sell X, you get Y. But really it's, mm. uh, um, yeah, how do you how do you add value and take away risk by offering something that that doesn't need to scale into the tens of thousands, but you know, really, if it works well and as advertised, it's going to tick a lot of boxes. Plus, ongoing, if it's the office connection in our case, then you know, adds a lot of value. It's a gig plus service, whatever, doing its thing. Yep, hmm. and that might just be enough sometimes to you know get your client across the line, or you know, even just buy in this. And it could be you know, you don't. Just going back to, to that discounting again is you know there's delayed billing, but there's also at cost billing. And if you if you're really transparent or you know, perceived as a discount, but it could be at cost. I do depending on what your margins are. We we have a client, I won't name names, but um we have a, a channel partner, MSP, that really does have an open book policy. They just say to the clients, hey, look, here are our costs. We add this margin because it's uh, we think we provide that level of value. And also we're a business, we need to make a profit. Um, let's let's work forwards from there and make sure that we can find something that works for both of us. And for all intents and purposes, they seem to be doing pretty well. So I mean, that an open book pricing policy is a really really interesting concept. I, I can't say I've seen it done heaps, but where I have seen it done, it it seems to really create a sense of trust and um, sort of mutual outcomes between both the customer and the MSP. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. Mm. And I think the other thing that's um, been spoken about in the market is um, leveraging on your vendor a bit more. That's one that's popped up, whether that's through, you know, how can you help them sell? How can you go out and do an RFP perhaps? Um, you know, are you getting into a room? You're really working through the finite details with that, with that customer or with that partner? Um, and, you know, or, or can you add some value in another way that, you know, justifies your price point to them so that they might perhaps take a lower margin when passing the cost on to the customer. You know, is it an ease of doing business that justifies that higher price point and they're prepared to go, well, our market won't buy that, but we'll pay that um, just so we can have our, you know, economies of scale and efficiencies integrated into our business because it makes us more profitable overall, but the end customer doesn't see that. So that's been something that's popping up. Um, and certainly been some conversations we've been having around, you know, what can we do as a as a, you know, a bunch of developers that work for us? You know, how can we make things easier for them to to work with us? So, yeah, it's been some interesting conversations around that popping up. So there, you're sort of thinking about the um, 
into in automation of the ordering process, for example, to get sort of faster turnaround times, ease of quoting. Um, yeah, where there's some level of complexity that there's some sort of engineering resource, that kind of thing. Yeah, more more efficiencies gained around, you know, alerts and notifications through to opening and closing tickets with customers. These two dogs have just busted into my into my studio. So awesome. Uh, that's just that's just great. So if you if you see some labs, that could be good. Oh, that's not going to upset anyone, but that's all good. It's welcome. No, it's all right. They're running away now. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think with um, with that, you know, it, it's about, you know, as a vendor, how can you work better? Yeah, how can you have a proper partnership? And and that's, yeah, sometimes it's outside the box. It's outside the norm of what you usually do. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, I reckon that'll probably do us uh, for today. I don't think I've got too much more to, to cover off on. I feel like at some future point, it might be an interesting deep dive on that whole open book pricing policy. Um, that could probably mm. um, getting some, see if I can get someone to come and talk about their experience with that. Um, maybe flesh that out a little bit. But anyway, for now, that'll probably do us. Uh, so Nick, thanks for thanks for coming on and joining me as always. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Well, I'll see you before that. But in this context, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, and for now, that'll in do person, us. First time since July. Exciting. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Mm. All right. Uh, oh yeah, we will too. Actually, we're doing. When are we? May. Hey, dogs. Uh, I am over in New Zealand in a couple of weeks, which would be awesome. So yeah, I don't think we've got two mics over there though, so we'll probably not be recording. Also, I think we've got a million lunches and dinners to do. So busy, yeah. busy eating and drinking. All right, cool. Well, uh, me and my expanding waistline will leave it there. I will uh, see you again soon. Thanks for joining me, and thanks to everyone for listening. As always, you can find Nick and I on LinkedIn uh, and we have our uh, insightsasaservice.emails, dot emails, we have our emails, insightsasaservice, uh, Brendan at insightsasaservice.fm, Nick at insightsasaservice.fm. If you've got any uh, ideas around uh, the best way to split territories as a sales team expands, I'm all ears. Um, in lieu of that, uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.